listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. The last number of weeks, and I encourage you, if you haven't listened to those messages from the last few weeks, that you would take, you would go online, you get the CD after the service, and you would have a listen to it because it all kind of flows together. And we've made some pretty bold statements in, those, in, in our last two messages together when it comes to being a follower of Christ. And today we have another one, and this is another bold one, and it's on the screen. I encourage you to write it down, and this is going to be driving what we're going to be talking about today. And this is the statement, it is impossible to follow Christ without sharing Christ with others. Without sharing it is Christ, it is impossible to truly follow him in the way that, that he has called us to follow him. And the goal of this message isn't to try to, 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 to route you up and get you excited and get you moving and, and to say, okay, I'm going to put on a Jesus badge and I'm going to be, you know, at some kind of a, almost like a, you know, a nerd, a religious nerd and go around and hold up signs, turn or burn, or, you know, that we're not going to start some program where we're going to go two by two to, to the doors in the neighborhood here in our commu- community, you know, and start telling people about Jesus, although you may want to do that, you may be called to do something. That's not the motivation of what we're talking about here today. The goal of, of my life is not simply to try to live for Christ, but for him to live his life through me. And, and that means that I have his heart and I want to live out his heart. And, and that is, is so important that we understand that. This relationship that we have with Christ in our abiding relationship, as we grow that, as we spend time in the Word of God, in prayer, it gets strengthened and it flourishes through the connection of the body of Christ, of having others in our lives. We need others to connect with. And, and Charles Spurgeon, he quoted this, and so it's his quote, but it sure is powerful. And he said that, that um, you know, when he was talking about how we are all built into the body of Christ and we are all living stones or we are bricks, and he said anyone who is not connected to the body of Christ, who's not connected to the church, are like useless bricks. That, that you cannot fulfill God's plan and his mission for us if we are not connected to one another in authentic relationships. And, and, um, and so we see the outflow of, of abiding and connecting with one another is that we have a message to share with others. And it is impossible, impossible to follow Christ and just to keep it all to ourselves. It's got to spill out. We've got to tell others. And that is just, just the fruit of abiding and connecting is this sharing. Sharing Christ with others. And we see the example of Jesus. When he was here on this earth, we see his great love that he had, a passion for people. He had a passion for his heavenly father and he had an abiding relationship with his heavenly father. But we see the passion that he had for his disciples and then also for people who didn't know him, who were lost. And, and, and we see how he took time for children, for, for uh, Samaritans, and, and they were the lowlifes and, uh, of society and tax collectors and, and terrible great sinners, all people. And, and, and sometimes I kind of joke that, that oftentimes at home I feel a lot like Jesus. And, and part of that is because my wife works for Revenue Canada. She's technically a tax collector and the, the great sinners. 
uh, in my family? Well, you know, maybe my kids, you know. And, and so kind of joke around with that a little bit. But, but we see how Jesus had a love for all people. He took time for children, even when, when others said, why are you spending time with them? And, and he had a love for children, that the children would come to know his heavenly Father, that, that they would come to know his love. And in Luke chapter 19, Jesus said in, ver- in, in verse 10 of Luke 19, you might want to write down that reference and look it up later. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save the lost. He had a passion for lost people. He had a passion to share the good news. And a little bit later in that chapter, in verse 41 in Luke 19, he was weeping over Jerusalem. Not because of, oh, they, they, they built it all wrong. Nothing like that. He was weeping over Jerusalem because he saw the lostness and the blindness of people and his heart was moved to compassion, to, to tears, because he just saw how, how helpless the people were and how spiritually blind. And then these words will be on the screen in Luke chapter 4. I encourage you to write down this reference because here we have Jesus was preaching. And in Luke um, chapter 4, verse 42, and it says, And when it was day, he'd already been spending a day preaching and teaching. And, and it says, When it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. He was abiding. He was taking time to meet with his heavenly Father. And people, and people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Like, Jesus, stay here. Teach us some more. Heal some more. We want to hear more. We want to hear more. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. Jesus said, I was sent. And there was a degree of urgency. Come on, let's go. I was sent to go and to share the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. And these people wanted him just to stay there. And and when you take a look at that statement, I encourage you to underline the word must. That word must is a strong, compelling, I've got to do this. It wasn't just, I must go and preach the good news. It's like, I have to do this. I'm compelled to do this. I must do this. And, and, And so he's... He's just on this mission to go and to tell others. He says, I was sent for this purpose. This is why I'm here. And then we know, we know this full well. If you've been in church for very long, you've seen it on signs. On, you've seen it throughout. You've heard sermons on it. From Matthew chapter 28, his final instructions to his disciples. And he says, now go. Um, well, I'll, I'll start just at the beginning of verse 18. He says, and Jesus came to them. He came to his disciples and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the Great Commission. And he says, what you've seen me do, now you go and do this. You as my disciples, you go and you reach them. You tell them about the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. But then you also teach them. It's about reaching and teaching. And this is so important that we get that. And and, and this is part of the role of the church. We are reaching lost people. We are on a mission to share Jesus Christ. But it's not just get them to pray a prayer, get baptized, and then, okay, that's good. It's like we need to keep, we, we need to equip you. You need to be taught so you can go and you can teach others. We preach so we can preach, right? So, so you're hearing the word of God being proclaimed to you, to you today. You hear the word of God being taught to you. We teach in order to 
teach. You're not hearing this to become fatheads and become knowledgeable and to get maybe kind of excited and amped up on this. You're hearing this so that you, you hear the preaching, we hear the teaching of the Word of God, so we go out and we preach and we proclaim and we tell others. We, we, we are taught so we can go out and we can teach others. It's not just an end to itself. We continue to keep going. And, and that's what I love y- yesterday uh, morning uh, Men met together. There's a good group of men that met together to study the Word of God and to learn some of the basic Bible study practices on how best to study God's Word. God's Word is like a sponge that is, is, is just so full of refreshing good news, refreshing water. But, but you can take, an, and, and take a sponge and you can, it holds that water, but you can squeeze it. And, and we're being taught over the next number of weeks how to squeeze as much as we can out of the Word of God. But we do that not just to become knowledgeable, but so that we can teach others these same principles as well. And we see that in 2 Timothy 2, verses 1 and 2. We don't hoard our faith. We are sharing it. We are trusting it to others. And, and in 2 Timothy 2, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others. We are, to, we are teaching to, in order to teach. We are preaching in order to preach. This is the heart of Christ, that we share the good news, that we don't hoard it, we don't hold on to it. And this is what he has called us to do. And yet I wonder today how many of us would honestly say, Along with me, I kind of stink at this one. I'm not very good at sharing. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Or I'm too busy. Or, or I see an opportunity, but I don't take it because, you know, I, I get nervous. Or, or maybe we can just admit that it's not our heart. It's not in our heart to care in this way. And we can feel guilt and and kind of ashamed and say, I'll I'll do anything else. Just don't ask me to share my faith with others. And yet we see that it is impossible to follow Christ without sharing with others. We want to equip you later on in in some ways in being able to do that. But before we do the equipping, we have to understand this in our minds. We have to understand this from the Word of God, how important this is, and the biblical basis as to why we are doing this. And I pray that today that your heart, that my heart, that together we would be challenged and we would be changed and we'd be transformed in this area and become convicted and convinced and compelled that we too, like Jesus, would say, I must tell others. I must, I must. This is the call that that we have in God's word. We must share the good news with others. And so let's look at Matthew chapter 5 here. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, all the way to chapter 7, we're not going to go through that all today. We could preach on that for months. Maybe someday we'll do that. It would be amazing. But this is known, chapter 5 to chapter 7, is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And this is where Jesus pulled his disciples aside and he gave them some very straight up talking about what kingdom living looks like. And so we're coming in part ways through on this sermon. He already had been, been speaking, and, and now we are at verse 13, because here in verse 13, we see today, he's telling us what kind of influence we are to be in our world. And we're going to hear the theology, the biblical understanding as to why we are people who ought to share the good news with others. And so verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste... How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but, but put it on a stand, and it gives light, to, gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, at times when we look at our world, it's easy to become overwhelmed cynical, discouraged over the moral and just the everyday corruption that we see. I don't know if you ever feel that way when you hear the news, when you see what's going on and you just see one thing after another and, and, and sometimes you think things have gone so far, situations and our world just seems so hopeless and, and helpless and, and, and what kind of an influence can I have? Even in our beautiful city, in this region, we can look and just see all the beauty, but we know, and, and, and you don't have to dig very hard to know that there's an ugly, sinful underbelly to our world here in, in, in this beautiful part of the country. We live in a culture, in a country that actually even protects sin. Think about it. That statement is so true. We have laws now that protect sin and allow sinful activity to take place. And at times we can see, well, what hope do I have to influence society? What should we do? Should we just all kind of huddle up in a little commune somewhere and just kind of wait for the rapture, you know, and get out our charts and our reading and our studying and say, well, I think this is when he's going to return. Let's just, let's just try to play it safe. No, that's not what we're to do. We are to share. We are to share the good news. We're on a mission. We're compelled to do it. And yet these verses here, Jesus declares us to actually be powerful and influential people. It's amazing what his word declares of us here today. And so the first thing I encourage you to write down, number one, I must share to influence and, and impact a decaying world. I must share to influence and impact a decaying world. Verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, when Jesus said this, uh, or, or when Jesus was, was, I guess, said this and was present here on this earth, his life was influential and impactful. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, people's lives were totally changed and transformed. He drew the crowds. People came to see what it was all about, who he was. And, and, and yet we see that not everyone accepted his message. The majority of people that even heard him ended up rejecting his message. In John chapter 2, we even have an account where, where Jesus is actually, there's kind of a negative tone to what he's saying because he sees the crowds and, 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 and many turned away from him and then he even turned to his disciples and said, are you going to do the same? People are coming for a good time. They're coming for, for, for Jesus to bless his life and heal their bodies and feed them and different things. And, and yet when, when it comes to the difficult parts of his teaching, they're like, well, we don't want to have anything to do with that. I don't want to deny myself. Take up my cross and follow. I want to love. I love other things. I I don't love you more, and I'm not going to love my heavenly Father more than than money or my possessions or anything like that. People, there were many who rejected the message of Jesus, and today, all of us will accept or we will reject one or the other. The message that we hear today, we we come to that choice that we have, and people will choose to accept or to reject the teachings of God. And I trust that today we would accept the message that we hear today. 
Here in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is saying to his followers, he's saying, encourage you to even underline these words in your Bible, it says, you are, you are the salt of the earth. Notice these words aren't, you are like salt, you should be salt. He says, no, if you are a follower of mine, you are salt. That's an amazing statement. And think about this for a moment. Salt, I mean, he just didn't pick this, this, this illustration just out of, you know, just out of nothing. Like it just wasn't, you know, just, there's a reason, a purpose why he said this. I mean, you think about salt. Salt is an amazing, amazing substance. It impacts and influences everything that it touches in many different ways. You and I are to impact anyone that we come into contact with in many different ways. Here's just a number of of uses and, and, and things that salt has an effect on. There's nothing quite like it. I mean, it's just an amazing thing. I mean, salt is used to flavor food. It can take bland food and, and it just brings out the flavor. Some people, one friend, um, I could say he's no longer with us, but he isn't. Yet. But he would take and he would he'd get his plate of food and no matter before he ate anything, he would just take the salt shaker and he would salt that plate up. Like, it's like, dude, don't you know if it's already salty? And, and he's like, oh no, I just like salt. And that's why I say he's no longer with us because it killed him. But you know, too much salt like that, I mean, isn't good. But, fla- but, but salt adds flavor. I mean, who puts salt on their watermelon? Any of you? Anyone want to confess that? I mean, some people do that. They really like it. It brings out the flavor they see. Now, I think too much would make it really bad, but I mean, we use it as a flavoring item, as as a spice in a sense, and salt gets a reaction. Salt is a substance that gets a reaction. When when you put it on ice, there's a reaction. When you put it uh, on on rust, or, or it causes steel and metal products to rust, it gets a reaction. It creates a thirst. You eat salty food, you get thirsty. You know how they make all their money here at the theater during the course of the week? They feed you salty popcorn. So then you buy expensive pop so that you can, can, can drink that or eat that salty popcorn and it creates a thirst. And, and, and so salt gets you thirsty and salt can also be used as an a- antiseptic, used to destroy germs. It can bring healing. In ancient days, I was reading this past week, that, that, that in some cultures, when a newborn baby would be born, they would take and they would give it a salt rub down. They'd give that little baby a, a, a little salt, not even a salt bath, but they would take salt and, and rub it all over its bodies, in case the, all over the body of the little one, in case there was any cuts or any sort of wounds or openings of any sorts, and, and, and that to destroy any germs that there would be. In Saskatchewan, uh, there is this lake called Little Manitou, and, and it's, uh, it's about 100 kilometers from Saskatoon, and it's a salt lake. It, it's really quite something. Um, I think the lake, actually, I've never been there in the summertime. The lake is actually um, five times saltier than the ocean, and it is about half as salty as the Dead Sea. And so it's very salty, and so they also have this, this very nice kind of spa kind of pool right there at the lake as well. And the water looks a little brown, and it is, um, not because it, it, it was neglected, it's just the, the color of the minerals and the salt that is there. And this is a very kind of healing, very soothing kind of water. They, they say you don't need any floating substances on the lake. You can read the newspaper, you can read a book, it just keeps you right up there. And years ago when I was a youth pastor, my dad and I went there, we, we met up, he came from a 
Regina. I came from Saskatoon where I was pastoring, and we went to Manitou Springs in the middle of winter, and we went to this place a little bit. And at that time, they had a diving board. It was probably because people like me um, made it so that they got rid of it. But I tried as hard as I could to jump off that diving board and to go down and to touch the bottom of the pool. And I couldn't do it. That would just shoot you right back up. It was amazing what that buoyancy would do, you know. And, and, and so there's just another quality of, of salt and, and, and what it can do. But also, because of its saltiness, it was amazing. Any sort of rash, razor rash, eczema, or as Americans will say, eczema, um, that, that you may have. You go in there and any cracks in that, and it burns initially at first, but it feels amazing after a little while. It brings healing. Some of you have met my niece, Courtney, who lives at the coast, and, and she has a very rare skin disorder where her, her body, very, her skin very easily um, blisters, and, 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 and the top layer of her skin actually tears with friction. It, it's a very debilitating and very difficult um, a disorder that she has, and, and for many years, when they would give her a bath, they would make a strong salt concentrate in her bath, and they would dip her in there, and she said it would burn like crazy. I checked with her this week. She said it, it would just burn like crazy, but it would also deal with any infections that were around those sores. They don't use it. They found some other things that are less painful for her to do, and so we see that there's a healing quality to salt, and and, and we see that salt is so useful, but you know when salt isn't useful? When it's piled up. When it's just piled up on a pile, it, it has no use at that point. And Jesus says to us as his followers, you are salt. You are the salt of the earth. And you're not just supposed to pile yourself up. You're to have an influence and impact on anyone or anything that we come in contact with. And it's an influence for, for Christ, a, a good influence, I would hope. This means that we are to have an influence and impact in our homes, in the workplace, in restaurants, in stores, when we drive. Now, the main thing that salt was used for in this context here when Jesus is giving it, I've given you a whole no, number of, of, of ways that salt was being used, but the way that salt was primarily used in ancient days was... Um, as a preservative. They would use it to take care of meat because believe it or not, back then they didn't have refrigerators. I mean, I know, like, can you believe that, that they didn't have refrigerators back then? But they didn't. They, they didn't, you know, just have a fridge you could go to and keep the milk cool and, and different things like that. And so meat, I mean, meat can't be very long, be alone very long in the heat without it going bad. And so salt is used as a preservative on meat to hinder the spread of corruption and decay and rot rottenness. And so when Jesus would have been telling this story of the Sermon on the Mount, he was no doubt on the side of a mountain, and it was believed it was actually at the, the Mount of Beatitudes, and, and I think we have a picture of that there of, um, near Capernaum, where they believe that he gave this. And so even as he's giving this sermon, and he's talking about being the salt, he would have no doubt that the, the disciples could have easily looked out and saw the fishermen out fishing or coming in and, and they're, they're cleaning their nets, but they're also dealing with their fish. And a lot of the fish would be eaten fresh, but any fish that, that was to be taken inland, right away, right from, from basically right from the boat, right there, they would often process the fish, and they would take, and they would just put, just start impacting 
the pieces of fish with that salt in order to preserve that. Yesterday, I stopped by the Russian-Ukrainian deli when I was in business a number of years ago um, doing a sales job. I stopped in there, and, um, and, and I, I remember seeing this, and so I thought of this, and, and so I went and bought some, some fish that have been salted. These are from Poland. How would you get fish that are unrefrigerated fish from Poland shipped over here to Canada in such a way that you could still actually eat it if you wanted to. I mean, it smells so bad. Anyone like this kind of thing? It'll be on the table afterwards. You can have this for a snack after church. I asked the lady when, when I was behind it, I said, what do they do with this? She says, well, we eat it. And I guess that was kind of a dumb question. Well, of course you eat it. But, but I said, but how? And she said, usually with beer. And I'm thinking, yeah, probably a lot of beer. You'd probably need a lot of that in order to be able to stop. I mean, I guess it must be a delicacy and people like that. And if you're offended by what I said, I'm sorry. You can have this and, and you can enjoy this afterwards. But, but what, what stops this kind of fish from, from decaying and getting filled with, with disease that would make you sick is the salt. It's been impacted influenced by salt on it, and so that salt has worked its way through, and so it's a preservative, and so salt is a preservative. And, and so what Jesus is telling them in this sermon is that morally and spiritually our world and the people around us are diseased and there's decay going on and it's all and left to itself it's going to get worse left to itself there's no hope it's going to continue to to go in a decaying um, in a decaying kind of a way and Jesus has said you are here to be a preservative you are here to make an impact and influence a dying diseased and a decaying world and we do this through our actions, we do this through our words. Paul said in Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, he says, May your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, adding flavor, adding spice, creating a thirst by the way that we live our lives, that people would see Christ in us, and, 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 and it's creating a thirst, and it's like there's something different about that person. Bringing healing and so on, all of these different ways to understand salt can apply. And Jesus goes on, though, and he gives this warning, and he says, as it continues on in verse 14, he says, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no longer any good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. How does salt lose its saltiness? How does salt no longer have an effect? Well, one is if it's just piled up, but it's still in a rich concentrate there. But how does salt lose its saltiness? By being diluted, by by being contaminated with other substances? How do we lose our saltiness as believers, as followers of Christ? It says we are the salt of the earth. And yet how do we at times lose our saltiness and lose our impact and our influence? Well, one, deliberate disobedience to the word of God compromising the standard of God's word, living in areas of sin, living in one areas of the church and in the ways of God and living with one foot in the world, living in outright disobedience. Yes, I know God's word says that, but I'm going to do that. We lose our saltiness. We lose our impact. People look at our lives and, and see no difference. They say, well, well, if that's what it is, there's nothing special about your life. When we backslide, When spiritually, another term is lukewarm. When we're just kind of lukewarm, we're neither hot or cold, we're just kind of of lukewarm. 
They have no effect. We've lost our saltiness. And these kind of things destroy our influence. John MacArthur said um, that we can't be an influence for purity if we have compromised our own purity. That's so true. How can we have an impact in our world if we've compromised that impact through sin, through disobedience, through, through unholy ways and unholy living? And how can we slow down the corruption in society or have an impact on our families, people around us, if we ourselves are corrupt? Now, I'm not talking about the everyday struggle with sin because we're all there. We all have that. We all struggle. We all stumble. We all fall. As we were singing earlier, prone to wander, Lord, I, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. The problem is, is when we're yielding to that sin and we're making ourselves comfortable with that sin instead of repenting and going to Jesus and, and asking him to forgive us, going to others who we've hurt and who we've wronged. When we don't do that, when we don't go to Jesus, when we don't reconcile with others, we lose our saltiness. And Jesus is basically saying here that a compromising Christian is a useless Christian. Those aren't my words. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying if we've lost our saltiness, all you're good for is to be thrown out onto the road, to be trampled on by the feet of man. You've lost your usefulness and your impact that, that we have as believers in Christ. And so we come to him and we repent and, and, and we ask him to forgive us, and of course he will. And we tell him, I want, I want my salt, I want my life to be strong and to be impactful and to have an influence on those around me. We see this in the church in North America in a powerful way, in a very sad way, how the church in many ways is losing or has lost much of its saltiness. And this happens by watered-down preaching, making people feel good about tickling ears, as the Word of God talks about, non-offensive messages, not calling people to repent and get right with the Lord. It's all about living your best life. Oftentimes living our best life Our best life is living a life with Christ, but it's not going to be easy. Jesus promised that. Our churches are preaching an imbalanced message oftentimes. Come to Jesus and you'll be healthy, you'll be wealthy, you'll be prosperous. Come to Jesus and because this celebrity did and and look at how famous and how gorgeous and lovely that celebrity is and so you should too. Or come to Jesus and pray this prayer and escape hell and and go to heaven when, when you die and But continue to pursue your own desires, your own plans. There's a diluted and a compromised message. And instead, we come to Jesus and surrender and we receive him as Lord and Savior because we understand that we are under the wrath of God. But because of Christ, he has set us free from the bondage of sin. And as we turn from that sin and we walk the way of Jesus, we are changed and we are transformed. And he has a new mission and a new calling for us. So you say, so how do I do this, Meldon? If I'm salt, how do I rub up against people? How do I rub up against them and influence them in the way that you're talking about? How do I help stop the decay and the disease of this world that morally and spiritually is happening? How do I do this? How do we do this practically? Well, just wait. He gives us another illustration here. Let's go to verse 14. It says, you are the light of the world. First of all, even before we go there, I encourage you to write this down. I must share to shine light into the darkness. I must share to shine light into the darkness. So I share to influence and impact a decaying world, but we shine light into the darkness. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, 
but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What is light used for? Light is used to drive away the darkness. And it's amazing how you can be in a completely dark room and even just a little light can make a difference. The smallest of lights can make a difference in a dark room. Now, believe it or not, once again, they didn't have refrigerators back then, nor did they have electricity. You just couldn't walk into a room, flip, flip on a switch, and you're good. Now you can get smart light bulbs. You can control light bulbs in your home from your smartphone on the other side of the world if you want to be. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, they didn't have that back then. And uh, one of the, the most handy lights that probably most people would have... Uh, would be on your cell phone. I mean, when I heard years ago that, uh, that your cell phones, this was back just when they were those great big banana-shaped things. I mean, they were this huge, great big cell phone that people would walk around, and then the battery pack that they'd have to plug in somewhere just to keep it charged and then keep it going. And I heard them say, you're going to do your banking, you're going to do all your emails. I'm like, what's email? You know, and, and you're, you're going to, you know, it's going to be your camera, it's going to be your video camera, it's going to be all these different things. Little did I know, it's also going to be one of the best and the fastest flashlights that can be around. And so oftentimes, whether I'm in a restaurant, really embarrass the kids, but I can't, you know, can't quite see this. It's so dark in here. You know, I turn on that light to, you know, when it comes to ordering. And of course, I shine it around at a few others. I'm like, Dad, quit that. It's so embarrassing, you know. And, but, but I mean, we have these lights. And why do we need light? To shine in the darkness, to help us to see. And we are to live our, lights and live our lives in such a way that people can see, not us but they see what's inside us. They see Christ in us. They see the glory of God in our lives. Now, in those days, as I said, they didn't have electricity and didn't have street lights or even street torches. I mean, sometimes they would, but, but even what Jesus is referring to here when he talks about a city set on a hill cannot be hidden was that people in the evenings would be in their homes and they would light a lantern. They wouldn't cover it up. I mean, why would you cover up that lantern? They'd put that lantern on a stand. They'd put it up somewhere high on that stand and it would allow light to flow into that room. And in those days, they had very small windows. They didn't have great big picture windows like we have now, but they'd have smaller windows. But the light that was shining in that room would also shine out that window. And you have a village or a community or city set on a hill with all of these lights shining out of these little windows, you can't hide it. You can't help but see it. And in the same way that when we shine the light of Christ, it may be small, it may be at times large, you can't hide it. It's noticeable. It makes an impact. It makes a difference. Light drives away the darkness. Light also provides direction and safety. And I think we can all admit that our world is a very dark place, not just at nighttime. In the middle of the day, our world is a very dark place, morally and, and spiritually. And in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 4, we have an understanding to the spiritual realm here too. It says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's our job to help Others see the light of the glory of God. That's our call. And, and in Psalm 119, 105, we see that the word of God is a light. 
It is, it tells us it's a lamp for our feet and a light to our path. It allows us to see our feet and to see what we're stepping on, but it also gives us light even to look ahead to the path and see what's coming ahead. And God's word provides that light for us. And, and Jesus came. What did he say? Jesus is the living word. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then Jesus comes and he dispels the darkness with his life. And now he's saying, you. Notice he doesn't say you are light-like. Light, you are not like light. You are the light of the world. This is who you are. And you can't, you can't be hid. You can't hide yourself in that way. If we're in Christ, there's the light of Christ in us. And he's saying, you are the light of the world. And, and what a privilege when you think about it. What a privilege to, to be called the light of the world. And because of Christ, the only true answer, true hope in dispelling the darkness around us is possible. And this is a huge responsibility. This is a huge calling that we have. That Christ is living in us and, and we bring the light of Christ into a dark environment. We bring the, wherever we go, if we are believers in Christ, there's the light of Christ within us that ought to be radiating out of us. And so when we go to our workplace, in our neighborhoods, there ought to be something that's different. Not different in a weird way, but a presence, a, something about the life of Christ being, being reflected out of us. But I wonder today when people look at us and when they hear us or they see us, when they see how we act, when we, how we react, how we conduct our business, are they seeing the light of Christ? Now, Jesus anticipates that we might be tempted to hide our light. And, and he goes on and he says, you don't light a lamp and then you cover it up. Folks, if Christ has lit up your life, if you're a believer in Christ, you don't, you don't hide the fact we... You don't cover it up with a basket or in a way that doesn't show and shine the light of Christ. That's a waste. They would never do that in those days. A candle or a oil lantern, it was costly and you wouldn't light it and then cover it up. You just wouldn't think of doing that. No, we're to light, have the light of Christ shine through us in our world. And as we do that, we bring the light of Christ into a dark world. And again, you say, so how do I do that? That just sounds, just sounds kind of simplistic. I'm salt, I'm light. How am I supposed to be salt and, and light? Easy to say, hard to do. My situation, where I'm at, my workplace, my home, my school, my neighborhood. Oh, there's some really tough, tough situations there. I don't know how I can do that. How do we do that? Well, if you want me to take a stand for Christ, if, if you want me to do this, I, I might get laughed at. It might, I might get labeled. I might get ridiculed. I, I might get, get defriended. I might get labeled a Jesus freak by people and and people might start treating me different, or maybe even I'll lose out some business opportunities, or maybe, maybe I'll even get persecuted. Yes! Yes, that might happen. So how do I go about doing this in the hustle and the bustle and the busy 
of every day, the nitty and gritty of life, number three. If we don't get this part, then, then we miss it. It says, I must share in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. I must share, but I must do it in the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of God. I can't do this on my own. Verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The salt and light that Jesus is talking about here won't come through having better laws or the right person elected in government or by having better laws and policies or to have bad laws overturned by having certain people in government and, and perhaps even what we're seeing today with, with the repeal of, of various laws and different things even in the United States and protests that are happening that won't solve the problem. Governments, laws, less taxes won't solve the problem. It can be helpful, but in four years, it can all be reversed again. We might be seeing a slowdown in some ways of the decay and, and glad to see some of the things that are happening in, in the rights of the unborn and, and that. But being salt and light and being an impact for Christ happens in me and in you when we impact the world around us personally and then collectively as a church. When we live out God's word in the way that, that we see here. Because look at, what verse did we start here in the Beatitudes? Verse what? Verse 13? Well, there was a chunk of his sermon that Jesus gave prior to that. In the first 12 verses, the first part is a little introductory, but then we have 10 verses of teaching. And being salt and light and an impact for Christ happens when we live out those 10 verses that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount. I encourage you to read them this week. Being salt and light and being this influence happens by being poor in spirit, by walking in humility. We are salt and light by being people who mourn, who are compassionate, and, and caring for those around us. We mourn with those who mourn. We are salt and light when we are meek and we are gentle. We are salt and light when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we pursue a holy life, we are salt and light. It's coming out of us and, and it's making an impact in our world. Yes, at times it may be uncomfortable and yet as we do this, we are salt and light when we pursue peace rather than looking for a fight. We are in Christ this is who we are and this is what we are to be. And, and if we've been salted and we've been lit up by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in us, this is our identity. This is how we are to live our lives. And this pursuing a life of love and mercy and grace and sacrifice and service and right in the place where God has placed you today. Today, we can be salt and light by pursuing this character. Right where we're at today, love is needed. The situations, the people you'll face this week, love is needed. Forgiveness will be needed. Mercy will be needed. Giving will be needed. Your service will be needed. Your sacrifice will be needed. Patience and perseverance will all be needed by a world that is waiting, that is watching, that is decaying. And we can make an influence. Jesus is saying, I encourage you to write this down, that as the Beatitudes become our character, salt and light becomes our influence. And this is powerful. 
If we as believers believe this and live this, that, that the Beatitudes would become our character, the salt and light becomes our influence in a mighty way. Here in this city, in this region, in our nation, around the world. And it starts this afternoon. If you're in a restaurant and the waitress, the waiter, the server, it's a little slow or it's not quite, quite right, that there's grace, that there's love that you leave a good tip. <laughs> Seriously, so much. We, when I was back in my youth pastor days in Saskatoon, there was a restaurant that would have a $3.99 chicken fingers and salad deal. And so Sunday afternoons, who just littered those places? It was the Christians from all the churches would go to, um, would go to Thomas Cook Restaurant and, and there for the chicken fingers and fries. And one of our young adults, she worked there and uh, she worked in the back kitchen and she told us one day how, how she said everyone hated working on Sundays because it was so busy because of the chicken fingers and salad or fries uh, meal that they would have, but because it was the Christians that were coming in and they complained the most, they were the most fussy, and they tipped the least. And they would leave their church bulletin or they would leave some sort of a gospel card without a tip. They would pray. And, and, and if I can just encourage you, I mean, these, these are just little areas that we can make a difference, that we can be gracious to our server, be generous with a tip to them. And in that way, we're showing, and then leave an invite to church. But don't do it. If you don't tip, for heaven's sakes, don't pray for your meal. It, we, we got to be generous people when it comes to this, this. You say, well, it's not fair. It's the culture. That's what we, we do in, in, in this sort of a thing. These are important things that we do, just even in the simplicity of eating out. Okay, okay, Melden, I'm going to try really hard this week. I'm going to try really hard to be salt and light. Me too. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to fail. And so will I. Look at what verse 16, it says, let your light shine before others. How do you get a light to shine? How does a light shine in the darkness? How do you keep a lamp going? Lamps in those days were made from a clay vessel with a wick and with some oil in it, and that oil was precious. And every day before they lit up that wick, before they lit up that, 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 um, that light, they would check and they would refill that vessel with the oil. No oil, the wick just gets consumed in no time. Boom, big flash, and it's done. And so if you wanted the light to last, if you wanted to be an effective light, you needed to make sure there was oil. Well, oil in the Bible is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And we need the Holy Spirit's fuel and power and presence in our life in order to be the salt and the light that we are called to be. And Jesus ministered here on earth in the power of the Holy Spirit that was his fuel for his ministry, for his life to face what he faced. And he's given us the Holy Spirit at salvation. When, when Christ comes into us, we have a deposit of the Holy Spirit that is placed within our lives. And so daily, we must be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so we can shine the light of Christ because on our own, we're just going to flame out. We'll, we'll flicker for a while, but then we'll go out. 
I was thinking about bringing this lamp to and, and light it here today, and this lamp was a nice old one. We, Charlotte and I aren't sure if it came from one of our farms from Saskatchewan, either her farm or our farm. Both our parents had some of these. But this lamp was used in our wedding ceremony. And, and I thought today, oh, I'm going to light it. It'd be so cool. And then I, I, I went and I found it this morning. And, and, and sadly, I, I, I found out there was just a little bit of oil in there. And the wick, it, it's dried out. And so I thought, if I light it, it's just going just gonna to go. There's not enough there. So I started digging around early this morning trying to find, I figured we had some kerosene or something somewhere, you know, to light it. Couldn't find any. And I was a little frustrated. I thought, well, I guess I'm not going to be able to use it. It won't make any sense. And I thought, no, this makes perfect sense. Because I think this is the way a lot of us are. There's a deposit of oil in there. there there's a little bit still swishing around. But, but we're empty. We need to be filled. And we're dry. This wick is dry. I mean, it, it'll just burn in no time. I mean, we get a nice little burn off here, um, and, and, and then it's done. But instead, we need this thing to be filled and, and allow this wick to get, get moist so it can be lit up and it can light the room. And the same is true in our lives spiritually, that in order for us to be a light, we need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. For these beatitudes to become our character, salt and light becomes our influence, but we do this as we put that final point up just to remind us there, number three, that we do this in the power of the Holy Spirit. And whose glory do we do this for? For His glory, not ours. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come to you now and we recognize that so oftentimes when we hear messages like this, we can think, yeah, I'm not very good at, at sharing the life of Christ with others. I'm hoarding my faith. But we understand that we have been compelled, we've been called, and, and we already are, if we're in Christ, we are salt and we are light. And, and yet we come to you as needy and we come to you as desperate for your touch in our lives. Would you fill us anew and afresh today?